there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Remember how they used to say of drug addicts, he's got a monkey on his back? And sometimes you might even say, oh, I got this monkey on my back. It wouldn't be so bad if we only had one monkey on our backs. But the problem is we've got hundreds, maybe even thousands of monkeys on our backs. In Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, and he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we've talked about repentance before in the past. The Greek word metanoia has been translated repentance in many places in the Bible. But it's one of those words whose meaning changes according to the context. In an esoteric context, it means to change one's mind. The kingdom of heaven is an expanding state of consciousness, I've told you before. The kingdom of heaven is an expanding state of consciousness. I guess to help understand what that means, it's a state of consciousness that conscious people inhabit. Men, numbers 5, 6, and 7, they are the people who are in the kingdom of heaven. We could call it the conscious circle of humanity. Let's put it in a work context, we'll say the conscious circle of humanity. Put it in another esoteric teaching context from a different point of view, and they call it the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven and the conscious circle of humanity are the same thing. There's no difference. They both are an ex- expanded and expanding state of consciousness. And notice I say an expanding state of consciousness. It's something that is continual. It's not something that stops. It's an expanded state. It's static. No. It's an expanding state of consciousness in the same way that the universe is an expanding universe. The universe is growing. It's spreading out. It's not contained like a fishbowl, like a giant fishbowl that we can't even imagine the size of it, and all of this stuff is inside of it. No. It is absolutely growing. It's moving. And so this is the same thing that's happening with men numbers 5, 6, and 7. They're in an expanded state of consciousness, and they're moving. They're growing. So it's not static. Now, this is difficult for our minds to comprehend because we don't think like that. We think in fishbowls and boxes and little containers. We don't think in this expanding, ever-growing thing. We want something static so that we don't have to keep thinking because we don't like thinking. It takes a lot of effort and energy to think, effort and energy that we would have to take away from negative emotions in order to employ thinking. And that's not something that we're going to do because we love negative emotions. We value negative emotions. That's what love means. It means value. When you value negative emotions, that means you love negative emotions. And we value negative emotions because they feel so good to us and because they give us so much with other people. We can use negative emotions to make other people do what we want them to do. So these are important things to remember about ourselves. The work teaches that after a certain age, we're little more than a collection of acquired habits or the way I'm looking at it this morning is we're little more than a collection of a barrel of monkeys. We've got all these habits, and what these habits are is little monkeys on our backs. I don't know if you know anything about monkeys or not, but when I was about uh, 19, I got this urge to get a monkey. I was living in Florida, and I got this urge to get a monkey, so I, I went and bought this monkey, and it was definitely not a good idea. 
But I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I thought it was a great idea. At the time, it was the only thing I could think of doing. At the time, I was obsessed with it, I, with a monkey. I got this monkey, but I didn't know that monkeys bit. You know, they would, they would bite you. I didn't know that monkeys were not really clean. They would crap all over everything. I didn't know that they'd tear everything apart. I didn't know that they'd go running through the house, tearing things apart, jumping on things, and pulling things down. I didn't know that they'd get into everything. I didn't know that they wouldn't be friendly and wouldn't be nice. They'd be just a monkey on your back. I had no idea. Then this monkey was every bit of that. And I could not calm this thing down or train this thing in any way. It was absolutely untrainable. For me, I didn't know how to do it. If there was a way to do it, I didn't know how to do it. And one day the monkey got out and hit the trees and it was gone. That was the second happiest day of my, <laughs> of my life. The first one was when I got that monkey. The second one was that monkey got away. <laughs> it's like, man... Now, if habits were only that easy, if they could just get out and run away, but habits keep coming back. This isn't a problem until we wish to change our situation. If you're satisfied with your situation, what's it matter how many habits you have? They help you to stay in your situation and not really give it much thought. You have the habit of getting up for work every day and doing this, this, and this, and going through this little routine. That's fine. That's a good habit then. You have a habit of buttoning your shirt this way. You have a habit of putting on the, this shoe first and then the other shoe. You have a habit of doing this or that or having this for breakfast or going here for coffee. All of these things are fine. There's nothing wrong with anything until you wish to change your situation. And then you find that habits are no longer these wonderful things that you live with, but they're now these little monkeys on your back that keep on pulling your hair or poking you in the eye or tugging on your ear or ripping your shirt or doing something worse. Changing our situation can only be done by changing ourselves. This is the one thing that will make sure, this will ensure, this is work insurance. This ensures that this work will never be popular because this work doesn't change other people because this work knows the truth. Esoteric truth is you can't change another person. No other person can be changed by another person. The only person that can change you is you. There's no one else that can do it, but we don't believe that. We believe that a good guru could do it. We believe that a good teacher could help us. A good mom could do it or a good dad could do it. We believe somebody could do it that somebody knows, and we just can't get them to help us. We just haven't been able to find the right one yet. This is why people keep moving from group to group, from teacher to teacher, from church to church, from class to class, from place to place. They keep moving because they believe that someone else is going to be able to do it to them. Someone else is going to be able to fix them. Someone else, the next guy, is going to have the magic formula, the magic wand, and then their situation will be different. And it's, it's nothing other than a belief in magic, and that's it. If you believe in magic, then you'll keep doing that. You'll keep moving, you'll keep looking for the right teacher, the right group, the right person, the right marriage partner. If you believe in magic, that's what you'll do. If, on the other hand, you realize that magic is illusion, then you will stop doing that. You may not stop it all at once because it's a habit, but you'll stop it little by little and you'll finally pare it down to something manageable. And when it does come up, you'll see it for what it is. Now, this changing ourselves can only be done by thinking in a new way. That's where the idea of metanoia comes in. Embracing thoughts beyond our present limitations, beyond our present thought patterns. That's really what thinking in a new way means. It means to embrace thoughts that are beyond us, beyond our mind. To embrace those thoughts, to embrace the things that are outside of our present limitations. To begin to embrace thoughts that are outside of our ordinary thought patterns. This is a very difficult thing to do. This is not easy at all because the monkeys won't let us. Because the monkeys are in our present limitations. I can't go on vacation now. I've got to take care of my monkeys. 
You know, so how many monkeys do you have? I don't know. They propagate, you know. I started off with just a couple, but now I have a couple hundred or thousand. I'm not really sure. I, I can't really count them all because they're jumping around so much. It sounds like about 10 million when they're all screaming. So you're starting to get the idea, this is what we are living with. All of this stuff is going on inside of us, but we're not aware of it. We're not aware that these things are habits. We're not aware of our habits. We're not aware of the damage that our habits do. We're not aware of how our habits keep us limited, keep us in these boxes, in these thought patterns, in these, these ways of looking at ourselves, in these ways of looking at other people, our attitudes, our prejudices, all of these things that obstruct our natural view, our ability to see ourselves. All these things act as blinders on us and keep us from seeing what's actually there. These monkeys inhabit five of our seven centers. The thinking center, it's easy to see, isn't it, that you have habits of thinking. The emotional center, it's easy to see you have habits of feeling, right? The sex center, it's easy to see you have habits there, isn't it? The moving and instinctive center, well, we know that because we can see other people. We may not be able to see our own moving and instinctive habits, but we can see other people's pretty readily. And from that, we can extrapolate and say, well, if everybody I see in the whole world has moving and instinctive habits, then clearly I do too. You'll see some people who do this, and you'll see some people who do this, and you'll see other people who do something else. You know? so, so you have those habits too, and then someone points out one of your habits, and what's the first thing you do? Yeah, change it. You try and, oh, well, I don't want to. Because you instinctively know that that's not something good. That's something unconscious. And you instinctively know that unconscious habits lead to unconscious behavior. And unconscious behavior leads to the law of accident and unpleasant things happening in your life. And you don't want that. So we try to change it. Now, the, these monkeys can't climb high enough to get to the other two centers. We've already dealt with the five centers, so the only, the only other two centers, the altitude's too much for those monkeys, they can't get there. You know those other two centers, right? Higher emotional, higher intellectual centers. The centers being run by monkeys can't work properly, so we don't do as we wish, but rather as the monkeys dictate. We don't do what we want to do. We don't do what we wish to do. We do what our habits instruct us to do. And we say, well, I couldn't do anything else. And then you begin to understand why the work says you can't do. But obviously you did that. Well, no, that's not what the work's saying. The work's not saying that your habits can't do. The work's not saying that the monkeys can't do. The work is saying that you can't do what you wish because the habits, the monkeys, keep you from doing what you wish. Because right when you go to do something, you have it in your mind to do something, it doesn't take very long for habitual thoughts to come up and wash that thought right out of your mind. They just move that thought right out of your mind to another place then some habitual thought takes its place, takes that thought's place. And so we don't do because the habits do for us. Another thing is a problem is that people are sure they could change if they wished. People are sure. Well, I could change if I wanted to. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who could quit smoking if they wanted to. Well, if I wanted to, I could. Well, they could quit drinking if they wanted to. Well, then why don't you? Well, I just don't want to. I can't tell you how many of those people I've seen who then tried and realized they couldn't. And that's why they don't try, because then they would have to admit that they couldn't change. Then they would have to admit that they weren't in control. They would have to admit that something else was in control of them, that they had a monkey on their back, and that it was driving them. Remember the uh, ratatouille? It was a rat that did this cooking. The chef who got a job, and he couldn't cook, really, but the rat could, so the rat get up under his hat and pull his hair this way, pull his hair that way, like reins to make him do things so that he'd cook things in the kitchen. It was an animated film. It was a great film if you haven't seen it. 
I guess probably the only things I really enjoy much anymore are documentaries and animated films. And it's not entertainment for me as much as it is it's esoteric stories where you start to look at what it is we are actually like. And you look at it from a point of view of everything is showing us, everything all the time. Life is my teacher. Life is showing me all the time what I'm like. And so if I see this, I see this rat leading this guy around the kitchen where he's cooking, I think, well, what rat's leading me around the kitchen? What rat is leading me through my life? What monkey is on my back that's pulling my hair, pushing me this way, or pushing me that way, or biting me this way and making me turn that way? It's, it's a different way to look at things, but it's what happens if you stick with this work. I'm not saying that particularly will happen, but I am saying that you will look at things in a different way. And that can't be bad because that's what metanoia is, isn't it? We just talked about getting outside of our embracing thoughts beyond our present limitations, embracing thoughts beyond our present thought processes and patterns. So that's what metanoia is, and it will change you. Your mind will change, and this work will give you the tools to do that. When I say this work, I mean esotericism. I don't mean just the fourth way, although the fourth way has some wonderful tools. And those tools can be applied in any esoteric system. Unfortunately, Christianity has some wonderful tools too, but they've been so obscured by teachings, religious teachings, that people have almost completely lost anything that was esoteric and real in them. And now, if you approach Christianity from a basis of the work, then it starts to come alive. Then it starts to be what it was meant to be. Then it breathes, the work breathes life back into it. And that's why Gurdjieff could say that this work is esoteric Christianity. And you will find, as you begin to really understand this work, that you will really understand Christianity in a totally different way. And you know, then you don't have to go running and screaming down the street. Your hair was on fire because somebody comes and knocks on your door and wants to talk to you about, do you know the Lord or whatever? You know, you don't have to go crazy because you can understand what they don't understand. You can understand what they're mouthing. You can actually, it's like my dad one time, he went to Argentina, I think it was, for his job. And he came back and he spoke Spanish. And the only Spanish that he spoke, though, was the thing that he memorized that was on the airline on the way back was just this little thing about this seat is occupied. And then it said Airline of the Stars or something like that. It was an Argentinian airline. I can't remember the name of it, but this was a long time ago, back in the 60s. He came back and he would go around saying this phrase, Lo sentimos mucho ocupado, la línea de estrellas. And, you know, so naturally he said it so much we all had it memorized. The whole family had it memorized, so we all spoke Spanish. That was it. That was the extent of our Spanish. But it was really comical. And so he would, you know, he would say this, and somebody who spoke Spanish would think, oh, he speaks Spanish, and they'd rattle something off to him, and he wouldn't understand a word. And this is what we're like. Someone will come along, and they'll say, they'll quote John 3.16, and they don't know what it means, any more than my father really knew the language Spanish because he had memorized this little plaque on a seat. He didn't know Spanish. So it's kind of interesting. We go on these illusions that we know something that we don't actually know. And that's what happens. Somebody comes and knocks on your door and they tell you this or that. And they don't understand what they're saying. But if you speak the language, you do. That's what this is about. These esoteric principles are about getting to the root of this truth. And then you will see it in everything you look at. Everything. There is no place that you can look where it won't be teaching you something about yourself. If that's what you want. If that's not what you want, then you'll be just like the people who are knocking on doors. You'll be out there trying to use it to teach other people instead of to learn it yourself and to change yourself. And that's all we do. We do one of two things. We either use it to change ourselves or we use it to try and change other people. If we use it to try and change other people, we become self-righteous hypocrites who make other people's lives miserable. 
and we become pretty darned miserable ourselves. If you use it to change yourself, you become a quiet, humble human being who takes things a little more slowly. You don't think so much of yourself. And that's where this work leads. And if you can't handle that, then don't worry about it because you're not there yet. That's all. If you can't handle it, don't worry about it because you're not there yet. And you'll get there naturally. Or you won't get there at all, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, people are sure that they could change if they wanted to. This form of imagination is keeping us asleep. It's leaving the monkeys in charge. If it wasn't for all the monkey chatter in the centers, we could hear what the centers were saying to us about every occasion. With all the noise, we don't hear our own centers speak to us. Your sex center speaks to you. Your instinctive center speaks to you. Your emotional center speaks to you. Your moving center speaks to you. Your intellectual center speaks to you. But you don't hear it because they're all inhabited by all these chattering monkeys. Chitta, chitta, ritta or something like that. I always get it wrong. Something like chitta, vritte. One of the things they say in yoga is, you know, monkey chatter, monkey mind. And it's just that... Now, Rex and I, one time we were down in Central America... I think we were still in Guatemala, heading for Honduras, and we stopped at this little motel or something, a little place in the, we were in the jungle. We stopped on the river, and we, we stopped at this place, and we spent the night. Anyhow, there was this, uh, this cute little monkey outside, and he just lived out there. He lived around the, the hotel, and we thought, oh, isn't he cute, you know, and he'd be there making monkey noises and whatever monkeys do. So the jungle's wet. So we had our clothes were all wet and we took our clothes and washed them and hung them out on chairs because that's all that was out there. We hung them out on chairs. And uh, we came out and this monkey had our clothes and he dragged them through the mud and he'd thrown them around. He was just the nastiest little thing on earth. Man. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, cute little monkey. I was reminded of my monkey, you know, when I was, when I was 19. I, oh. And then the monkey, you try and get your clothes back and the monkey grab your clothes and run away or tear them up and stuff. Just demonic behavior, you know. There was just no way to get around it. It was just like, it was just, was, you know, it was just a monkey. And it's like troublesome monkey. And so the idea of a barrel of monkeys started really making sense. It's like, man, that's a lot of trouble. And noisy. They don't get what they want. They scream at you at the top of their lungs, screaming and screaming and screaming. And that's why I thought habits are like monkeys. They're troublesome. They're noisome. Oh, they're fine when they're, you see them over here and they're cute. And they're, oh, look at the little, oh, honey, look at the monkey. You know, and then, but then when they get into your stuff, they really mess things up. And that's the way habits are. They're so, it looks like a good idea. It looks like a harmless thing. It looks like it's kind of cute. But then you find out it's destructive and that it's really limiting your ability to enjoy your life or to live your life. When the monkey took our clothes and took off and dragged them through the mud and everything, you have no idea how limiting it is in our society to have to go around with no clothes. To run around naked after a monkey who's got your clothes is not a fun thing to do. So I recommend getting the monkeys off your back one at a time if you can. People think habits are minor bodily habits. You think, oh yeah, well, I, you know, I, I know I, I bite my nails, you know, and, and well, I smoke. Well, well, yeah, I drink and well, okay, so I overeat. These are all bodily, minor bodily habits, you know, and it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's not like I'm a, a serial killer or an axe murderer. I mean, come on, it's just a habit. It's not terrible. It's a filthy habit. You know, it's not filthy to me. It's my habit and I've learned to live with it. And that's how we are about our habits. We learn to live with them, no matter what other people think. Let's just try and hide them from those people who don't like them. So we don't smoke around that person, carry mouthwash around or breath spray or like that. We have ways of getting around it if people don't like our habits. But we have learned to live with them. And if other people can't live with them, then we, we try to avoid those other people or not let those other people see us having those habits. The monkeys live in the trees, the intellectual center, or what we think. 
we need to start someplace. If they're in all these centers, if they're in five of the seven centers, we need to start someplace. The easiest place to start is the intellectual center. The monkeys are the slowest there. They're the old monkeys. <laughs> they're the monkeys with arthritis. <laughs> they're the monkeys that are not swinging through the trees as high. They're the monkeys that are not screaming as loudly. They're the monkeys that are not as dexterous as the other and quick as the other monkeys. So that's where we start. We start in the intellectual center because it's a better place for us to start. It's full of mechanical habits. And isn't it amazing? I'll bet if I were to ask you, what are some of the mechanical habits that are in your intellectual center? I'll bet you that you couldn't name three. And that's exactly the problem because the monkeys are on our back where we can't see them. We've got to learn to see them. We've got to find some way to see them, to see what these habits are, to observe them. Our feelings and emotions are run by monkeys who've taken up residence in the emotional center. And they keep both centers asleep. They keep the intellectual center asleep and they keep the emotional center asleep. Habits keep you asleep. Most of us don't think. We have opinions that we've heard or we've read that have become habits in our mind. If I name up, who was it? Jess, yesterday. Jess was over yesterday and he was fixed an irrigation leak and it, it wasn't fixed. And so he was redoing it. And I said, oh, man, it's just like it's always something. He goes, and Jess looks up at me and he goes, it's this place. And it was this quote out of The Matrix where the smell of it, you know, if there is such a thing. Agent Smith does this thing where he's talking to, who's the black guy in that? Morpheus. Yeah, he's talking to Morpheus. And he's, i got to get out of this place. And so Jess is saying that. And I thought, wow. No, this is exactly how we are. This is just an opinion. This is just something we picked up somewhere, but it just goes off. You mention something and it triggers it and it just goes off into this whole dialogue of repeating this scene. I won't even mention the other people who do it perfectly. Or I even say, if I even say, well, who was that? Morpheus, you know. Who was that guy? Who was this guy? What was that? Then they know. They know. Because they are suggestible and these things impress them and they end up being habits of mind. And then they're acceptable habits. Well, that's a harmless little monkey. Well, what's, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. That's only when we become aware of it, when we have an aim. We have an aim, then the habit becomes, the cute little habit becomes a problem. What's the best thing to do? Well, don't have any aims, obviously, which is what most people do. But we don't think. And the reason we don't think is because we've got all these habitual thought patterns that are being triggered. And then when you say, well, what do you mean I don't think? Well, just sit down and try and think of something. Just Try and direct your thought. Just think of only one thing. Just think of that. And you will find all kinds of other thoughts coming in and trying to drag you away, try to drag your attention away. And it won't be long until they wear you down and they have you off and you forgot entirely what you were doing. You're going to do something else now. And that is our condition. That's the state we're in. Except, of course, for the people who know that they're not. They haven't even figured this much out yet. And so they're just sure that they think for themselves. If we could think for ourselves, we wouldn't recognize this world. This world would look entirely different than it does. If we could actually think for ourselves, we wouldn't see anything that we see now. We wouldn't hear anything that we hear now. We wouldn't know anything that we know now. Not in the way that we know it. Because we are knowing everything through filters, habits, prejudices. All these different things color everything coming into us. So this world would be entirely different instantaneously if we could think for ourselves. So we'd be living in a new world with a new heaven and a new earth, which again tells you something about the esoteric teachings of Christianity. A new heaven and a new earth doesn't have anything to do with changing your address. It doesn't have anything to do with the second coming being something outside of yourself. The second coming is something inside of yourself. It's when you come back to yourself. That's the second coming. The first coming was when you were created as yourself. Then you forgot yourself. The second coming is when you remember yourself. 
Needless to say, there'll be lots of second comings for a long time to come because we'll be remembering ourselves and then forgetting ourselves and remembering ourselves and forgetting ourselves for a long time until we can make it permanent, until we can reach real I, until the real, genuine, full second coming of reaching real I. When Master comes and can tell you what to do and you can do it, imagine. And Master comes now and told you what to do and you couldn't do it. But then when Master comes and tells you what to do, you'll be able to do it. And you're sitting up on the carriage and Master gets into the cab and he says, well, take me to this place. You'll be able to do that because the reins will be connected to the horse and the horses will be in good shape and the cab will be in good shape and everything will be hooked up properly and you'll be out of the bar where you're drunk on imagination you'll be up on top of the cab where you're supposed to be sitting in the seat and you'll direct the horses and you'll direct everything and everything will be properly hooked up and working right there won't be a bunch of monkeys here and jumping on the horse's back. There won't be any monkeys up here trying to get you to go some other way or whip the horse in another direction or taking the, the nuts off the wheels so that the wheels fall off. On and on and on and on and on. When you reach real eye, it'll be at that place when everything is in order and you can actually do what you're told to do. Most people can't even imagine that. But that's all right. As we are, the monkeys do our thinking and feeling. But we say I to everything we think and feel. And so we don't know that it's the monkeys doing it. We say I to it. If someone begins to awaken and see this need for metanoia, what they find is a tree full of chattering monkeys. And they're clueless how to begin to think for themselves. As I've said, start at the top. Because the monkeys in the intellectual center are the slowest, it's best to start catching them. And that's what you do. First you start to notice them. Now, I had a friend, well, not a friend really, but I know a woman who raised finches. I think she raised finches, some kind of little birds anyway, little birds. And she had this big aviary. And she would go out there and they were all these birds. out. She would go out there with a bottle of water, a spray bottle of water that has some food coloring in it. And she would sit out there, just sit out. It was a nice little area, garden area. And she would sit out there and watch the birds. And every once in a while, she'd pick it up and spray one of them and mark it. And what she was doing is she was marking what she noticed. She was marking this bird. It was a male and this bird was a female. And so she would mark these different birds so that she would know what was what, who was who. And I thought, isn't that interesting? It's just like self-observation. Only we're not working with little birds flying around in a cage now. We're working with monkeys. And you see this monkey go by and you squirt it. And then you'll notice that same monkey over here doing something else. It's like, well, isn't that interesting? I thought that monkey only belonged over there, but here it is over here too. This is how you begin to observe this in yourself. You begin to observe these habits and you mark them. And you just make note of them. That's all. And she would do this very calmly. It was not like, oh, I got you. It wasn't anything like that. She wasn't trying to catch the birds. Just mark them. That's all. And that's all you're doing with self-observation, just marking the monkeys. As long as you have the same mental attitudes, the same prejudices, the same opinions, you can't change. No matter how hard you try to, you won't be able to change. You'll stay the same. It's a fact of life that many of you have become painfully aware of. When I say painfully aware, I mean painfully aware. You become aware of it to the point where it is unpleasant to realize how little you can do. This is not fun. And we want to revert back to breaking things sometimes. We just want to revert back to something we know we can do. Well, I know I can break things. I know I can screw things up. We, so, we, so we do. Sometimes we just go back to screwing things up just so that we can feel what it was like to feel like the old person, to feel like the old self, to feel like we had some power, so to feel like we had something where we could control. That's all it is. It's just reverting back to get something familiar. Ospensky said, to change, you must change your attitudes first. To do this, we must learn to think beyond our minds. That, of course, is metanoia. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not imitate the way of this world. And what do we do? Well, that's all we do. What is false personality? False personality is nothing more than imitated everything. 
Everything that is in false personality, we got somewhere else. It's not ours. It's acquired. We imitated somebody else, just like monkeys. Monkey see, monkey do. We saw somebody do it, then we did it. And what we are made up of is a conglomeration of monkeys, things that we saw somebody else do. And so all these monkeys have learned how to stand on each other's shoulders and walk together and put on a hat and a coat and carry a briefcase and look around and act like a human being when all it is is this conglomeration of monkeys. And if you could give them a good swat, they'd all scatter and the person would be gone and there would be a hat and a coat and a briefcase that fell to the ground and a pair of shoes that fell to the ground and, and that's all there would be and the monkeys would be gone. That's us. That's false personality. It's just this conglomeration of habits. Do not imitate the way of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I mean, that's so beautiful. Don't imitate the way of this world. But we have done that already. Well, now what do we do? Well, now the only thing for us to do is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, how are we going to renew our minds? Well, we're going to have to renew our minds by putting the kinds of thoughts and ideas in there that belong in there that will lead us to real I. That's how you renew your minds. That's the only way to be transformed. You start off by renewing your mind. You start off your journey of transformation by renewing your mind. You start in the intellectual center. Why? Because for us, that's the best and easiest place to start. Other cultures, it may not be. But for us, it's the best and easiest place to start. And what will this lead us to? This will give us the ability to discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you have any idea how great your life would be if you could discern what was good, acceptable, and perfect? How many mistakes have you made? Countless, because you couldn't discern what was good, acceptable, and perfect. But you start this transformation process by renewing your mind, and you will begin to be able to discern what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And that's what you will choose, because that's what you want. When the work finds us, we have already imitated this world. It's all crystallized in our attitudes, opinions, prejudices, habits of mind and emotion. And on and on and on and on and on until finally it's like, okay, you can shut up now. We know we're screwed up. One man, said Nicole, by work on himself can change others and others change others and so on. Well, this is not about changing other people. But it is inevitable that if one man, by working on himself, changes himself, others will be changed. If you know anybody who has worked on themselves at all, you know that you have changed in relationship to them because their relationship with you has changed. The way they treated you changed. Things they do change. You begin to change. It just can't not happen. That's the way it works. How can one man change? Where do we get this new knowledge? What work must be understood and applied in order to have one man change? What is the order that works? We know that there's a certain order. You have a combination on a safe. And if you have the combination, you have all the numbers. Unless you know which way to turn the knob and which numbers come first and which numbers come next, you can't open the safe. You have to know the proper order in order to be able to open that safe. You have to get the order right to have the combination correct. It begins with positive esoteric ideas. When we hear man was created to self-evolve, we begin to reflect. The dictionary will tell you that reflect means to think deeply and carefully. And that's fine, but it's not good enough for me because I like to find the roots of words and where they came from and like that. When we hear life on this planet is not in our interest unless we try to awaken. See, life on this planet doesn't have our best interest in mind. The only time that life on this planet becomes anything useful is when we wish to awaken. When we wish to awaken, then we change the whole molecular structure of life on this planet. 
and we make it beneficial to us. But before we wish to change, we are nothing more than a flea on a horse that life is, that's running down a road. And we have no control over where that horse is going to go. When we wish to awaken, suddenly everything begins to change. To reflect means, from the Latin re, which means back, and flectere, to bend. So what reflect means is to bend your thinking back onto yourself. This is the one thing that is the most difficult thing for us to do, to bend our thinking back onto ourselves because it automatically goes out there. We automatically look at those people, they need to change. We automatically look at those people, they're to blame. We automatically look at those people, they're not making me feel good. And we forget to reflect, to bend our thoughts back on ourselves and say, wait a second, I am the cause of this. It is my being that attracts my life. It is my consciousness that has determined how I take in these impressions and what happens inside of me because of that. It has nothing to do with those people out there. So we reflect, we bend our thinking back in on ourselves where it belongs. And we understand that we are responsible for what happens to us in life. And even if that responsibility is a matter of I'm not being responsible, that is still responsibility. You're being responsible by not being responsible because being responsible is your responsibility. And if you're not being responsible, then you're not doing your responsibility. So therefore, you need to bend your thinking back in on yourself so that you can see that you are the cause of this. But it doesn't look like that. Keep bending your thinking back in on yourself. Keep filling your mind with positive, esoteric, powerful, esoteric ideas. The truth. Always go back to the truth. What truth? We are mechanical people. That's the truth. We are mechanical people. What makes us mechanical? The confusion of tongues, our habits. We got a barrel full of monkeys and they're crawling around on our backs, making us do things that we don't want to do, they don't wish to do. We can't do what we want to do. We belong to the circle of Babel. We reflect. Bend that back in on yourself. When we hear, unless we change ourselves, everything will remain the same. Reflect. Bend your thoughts back in on yourself. Until I change here, everything out there is going to remain the same. When we hear our level of being attracts our life, we reflect. All of these are positive esoteric ideas that have the power to renew your mind and set you firmly on the path of transformation so that you will be able to discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And when you discern it, you will choose it because you're not stupid. You're just mechanical. You're confused. When we hear, if we remain as we are, everything will repeat as it did. We reflect. In this way, we bend our thinking back to ourselves, thinking for ourselves, becoming responsible for what we are, what we have become. When you can be responsible for what you have become, you can change it. If you are not responsible for what you are, you have no way to change it. If somebody else did all this to you, you have to wait for somebody else to come along and do something else to you. But if you did all this, even if it was unaware, unknowingly, even if it was mechanically, then you can consciously undo it. If you still consider internally, if you still submit yourself to negative states without a struggle, if you still identify with every thought and mood, you don't understand the meaning of your life on this earth. Let's say that we don't understand our, the meaning of our life on this earth then. Reflect privately on what the work teaches to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the work teaches. The work teaches you how to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This work gives you intellectually the right thoughts and ideas that can connect with the higher centers, making you receptive to higher orders of truth. But this work can't do anything except give you the intellectual ideas, the right thoughts. That's only the beginning. Right thinking, right knowledge must lead to right being, and being is different from truth.
Good means goodwill. Will belongs to being. Charity, from the Greek, means graciousness. This is what this work leads to. It leads to goodwill, and that goodwill being being, will belongs to being. When your will belongs to your being instead of the monkeys, you will be able to have goodwill. When you have goodwill, you will be expressing charity. When you think about what charity means, because it's very obscure for us, but go back to the Greek. Charity means graciousness. You will be a gracious person because you will have goodwill. That's what this work leads to. If you think you're going somewhere else, you're mistaken, because that's not where this work leads. If you follow this path, you will become a gracious person of goodwill. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work, and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.